the world is in a different place. There's a lot more kind of information and data out there. And like I always say, numbers don't lie, right? Like you can just look at the numbers and the percentage of number of hockey players or any athlete that goes on to get paid to play the game is so low. And that's so, so glaring now that it's impossible to ignore, right? And I don't think it was like that back then. My advice always, because we actually get a lot of athletes in our business that have an opportunity to go play another year in Europe, right? Whether it's hockey, basketball, you know, football, baseball, whatever. My advice to them is actually to, to play as long as somebody will pay him to play. But what I do tell them is you need to start going out and talking to people and like using the fact that you have some leverage as a professional athlete, as a college athlete, and start asking people about what they do in their career. Ask them how they got to where they are. Ask them what they like about it. Ask them what they don't like about it. And I think there's something to be said about the athletes that are playing now that have some semblance of an idea of what they want to do after. I think what you'll start to see is their performance will be better because their mental health, their well-being is better. Because when you're a, you're a Western Canadian kid who didn't graduate from high school or go to college and you're a goalie in the Southern Professional Hockey League and you need, you think you need hockey to work out or you're going to be working in a mine or whatever versus like you go out and you talk to 15 of your teammates' parents who are successful and they're explaining to you like, hey, you don't need any special education. You don't need any special certification to do what I do. And here's how I got here. And here's what I like about it. I guarantee that person's going to play better the next game than the one who doesn't have any idea and thinks that this is it or they're screwed. So I always advise them, if you can keep playing, keep playing. And while you're playing, talk to as many people as you can and learn about as many careers and career paths as possible. That's always my advice. In case you haven't noticed, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're building a one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network. JR, I saw you were part of a big upset in college hockey just a couple of years ago. And I want to start there because we have a lot of conversations around sports. And I'm always fascinated by like the anatomy of an upset. Like, what was it leading up to your game versus the Gophers that led you to believe? Like, I know you play games, right? And you always think you can win, but there's more to it, right? Like, what is that anatomy of an upset from someone who's lived it? I think when I look back, you know, I love that you said it was only a little while ago because it made me feel young for a second. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but you start to realize it's 18 years ago or 16 years ago. I didn't say it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when I look back at that team, and it's funny, like that team specifically, we were so close, Eric. We did everything together. There wasn't anybody on the outside. Everybody was in. Everything we did, we ate lunch together. Candidly, we partied together like a lot. Like, you know, we had other teams the four years I was there, but in terms of like going out together and the amount of times we were going out, like that year was definitely the biggest. Like, I just think we had such an unbelievably close culture and everybody knew 
that the person sitting next to them would do anything for that person, that I think we all went into that game knowing that if there was something that was in our control, we were going to do it and we were going to do it for each other. Even to this day, we just had a wedding two weekends ago from a kid who was a junior on that team. And everybody from that team was there, every single guy. And we all still keep in very close touch. That's the biggest difference that I've seen in any winning team I've been on is how close everybody is. I think that was really what did it for us that year. Yeah. You played on a lot of teams, right? Like when you were younger and clearly like there was something special about that group. Did you know that early on? Because you can watch teams and you'll see that this team, for whatever reason, like I don't know if it's from the coaching staff, is it from the leadership that just they're not inclusive of the younger players, whatever that might be. Did you notice it right away? You know, start there. Like when you first arrived at Holy Cross for maybe this is a specific year that you're talking about. Like, did you have it all years? Take that how you want. I think it was the senior leadership more than anything, because we had the same coach, we had the same goalie, we had the same for the most part, first, second, third line, right? But the senior leadership that year was a little different than the senior leadership the year before, right? Like there was my sophomore year. So my freshman year, there was a definite hierarchy in the locker room. Freshmen were treated differently. Like you could tell who was seniors and who was underclassmen when you walked into the room or even to a party. Whereas like the next year coming into that, the seniors were much more all-inclusive. People weren't treated differently. So I think that set the tone for the whole entire season, right from the jump, right? And we had an unbelievable year. We had, I think, 26 wins. Like we were kind of a wagon from the jump, but it started in late August, early September when we got on campus. Like we all knew this was a different team, even though 85% of the makeup was the same people because of the way the leaders were approaching their roles as leaders in terms of bringing in the freshmen and bringing in the underclassmen as one unit, we could tell right away we had something special going on. And I think it was all about the captains, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's so much comes from the leadership and the top and who's setting that example. And you see that whether it's in sports or business. And it's funny because I watch my kids play and I can see... It's not always early on. You're like you can see the teams that are going to get it, that are going to get along, as opposed to you see so much in youth sports today. There's this blame culture, right? No one wants to take responsibility for the loss, for the puck going in the net, for the ball going in the net, for losing this game, or for this happening. And then, and a lot of times, it's the coaching, right? It goes down to the coaching and like what type of environment are we playing in? Because so often it's like they focus on this ultimate outcome, right? Or they focused on like having a good practice. And including everybody and all this, it's it goes sideways really fast because in youth sports, you get parent involvement and then they start blaming. And it's a real problem in youth sports today, like without a doubt. And that's frustrating because I think we lose young people from the game because they don't want to be a part of it anymore. I don't know if you see that or what your involvement is. Obviously, you played youth sports growing up that led you to play at Holy Cross and on. Like, how are you seeing that play out? Because I think it leads into so many other things we see, not just in athletics. Yeah, I coached youth hockey for probably 12 years when I stopped playing. My father was a high school hockey coach for 25 years. He's in the Massachusetts Hockey Hall of Fame. So I've been around like youth and teenage sports literally my entire life. I got raised in a basically a high school hockey locker room, which is a little scary, but that's a different story. Yeah. (laughs) But I think like, One of the reasons I stepped away from coaching youth sports specifically was because of the parents, to be honest with you, Eric. 
Yeah. I played football and baseball and soccer growing up too, but very close, obviously, to hockey more than anything. And I think hockey, and I'm sure this is happening in other sports, but you're seeing specialization a lot earlier than you ever did, right? My dad made us play multiple sports all the way through the end of high school. And that's, you know, going to play division one hockey. Most people are saying, Hey, your sophomore year, you need to like stop playing football. Stop. We didn't. Right. So with hockey specifically, you have these parents that spend a ton of money and a ton of time with their kids. So I think there's a certain expectation of like certain outcomes because of that investment. Right. And as you know, in sports, it doesn't matter how much money you invest and how much time you spend driving your kid around. Ultimately, it comes down to the skill level of the kid, right? So I had a huge challenge with parents and their expectations and a certain level of like expectations of what they were going to get out of the investment they were making in their child's, even if their children weren't as invested as they were, right? So that's something that I'm definitely seeing, at least in the hockey world, in a big, big way. Yeah. I have three kids. My youngest plays hockey. And I tell the story like we were at, this is last year. She had just started playing. This is a U10 league. And this was the championship for the Metro League, right? And this parents next to us were getting really into it. My wife and I were laughing at first to a point it was very uncomfortable a few minutes later, like extremely uncomfortable. Like, and we're up high, so they shouldn't be able to hear us. And there's glass there. And even the kids looking up, knowing where the parents are. And it's just, it was just so uncomfortable. I'm like, well, there's four teams in this league. Two of them are playing for the championship. And it's like, the game's going to end. They're going to have to get off the ice because the next team's going to have to come on. They're going to get their little snack, take a team picture, and off we go with our day. And it's just, what are we doing here? And like, we think we have the next Cindy Crosby sitting over here. Is that the outcome we're expecting? Is, I don't know. It was extremely uncomfortable. At the same time, it's an incredible sport to play. It's an incredible sport to watch. Like I've noticed my kids even like even if they don't play the game, I've watched younger people watch the game and they're taken by it because it's fast. You know, football, as much as we like to watch football, can be very slow. Basketball doesn't have this like there's hockey, the speed of the game and kids are taken by it. We need more of that. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. And hockey's definitely growing. I lived in Scottsdale, Arizona the last four winters and the amount of participation in youth hockey there is it's mind blowing especially for a kid like me growing up in Massachusetts right where it's always been yeah. big since the 70s it's cool to right. see it is cool to see it's interesting i don't know if it's Austin Matthews if it's obviously the Arizona they have an NHL team there so that brings them out now Arizona State the university has a hockey team and that looks like an incredible atmosphere yeah in sun devils right like right. who would have thought yeah <laughs> I, know. I know it's taken over in the southeast that's really cool you need this to understand, you know, what it takes to build, right? To continue to teamwork, culture, all this stuff matters. But at the same time, like these are big words that are thrown around, teamwork and culture. Like you've lived it and you've seen the good and you've seen the bad with all of it as building a business. Like I'm sure you've heard those words and I'm sure you've been like, okay, coach, like whatever. And then you've heard the other coaches be like, no, I'm all in. Like this is what it's all about. I mean, and at the end of the day, it's sales, right? They have to sell that, right? You're nodding along. So take that how you want. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So when I say that with sales, like, when did you start thinking about life after hockey? Or did you? Literally when, when I didn't have a team to go play for. Like That was like the first yeah. time where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not playing hockey anymore. So like, what am I going to do? Like, And again, going back to the craziness of hockey, 
we all think we're going to be in the NHL someday, especially when you get to like an elite level. You play Division One hockey. I went to a high school that has put more guys in the NHL than any high school in the country. So like my brother played in the NHL. Like I wasn't far from it. Like mentally, I think <laughs> performance wise I was, but not in my own head. Right. So I never, ever even thought one second about life after hockey until it was officially life after hockey. Yeah. Are you recommending to, you know, you talk to young athletes today, are you recommending it's very different right now? It hasn't truly been that long, right? 18 years, I guess, you know, it's like two decades, but are you recommending that they think about this before like it ends because you don't know when it's going to end. It could end because, Hey, you're just not good anymore. Someone took your spot. You get hurt. I mean, there's many reasons your playing career can end. Are you talking to current players about that? Yeah. Well, I think now is the world is in a different place. There's a lot more kind of information and data out there. And like I always say, numbers don't lie, right? Like you can just look at the numbers and the percentage of number of hockey players or any athlete that goes on to get paid to play the game is so low. And that's so, so glaring now that it's impossible to ignore. Right. And I don't think it was like that back then. My advice always, because we actually get a lot of athletes in our business that have an opportunity to go play another year in Europe, right? Whether it's hockey, basketball, you know, football, baseball, whatever. My advice to them is actually to, to play as long as somebody will pay him to play. But what I do tell them is you need to start going out and talking to people and like using the fact that you have some leverage as a professional athlete, as a college athlete, and start asking people about what they do in their career. Ask them how they got to where they are. Ask them what they like about it. Ask them what they don't like about it. And I think there's something to be said about the athletes that are playing now that have some semblance of an idea of what they want to do after. I think what you'll start to see is their performance will be better because their mental health, their well-being is better. Because when you're a, you're a Western Canadian kid who didn't graduate from high school or go to college and you're a goalie in the Southern Professional Hockey League and you need, you think you need hockey to work out or you're going to be working in a mine or whatever versus like you go out and you talk to... 15 of your teammates' parents who are successful and they're explaining to you like, hey, you don't need any special education. You don't need any special certification to do what I do. And here's how I got here. And here's what I like about it. I guarantee that person's going to play better the next game than the one who doesn't have any idea and thinks that this is it or they're screwed. So I always advise them, if you can keep playing, keep playing. And while you're playing, talk to as many people as you can and learn about as many careers and career paths as possible. That's always my advice. Yeah, it's the while playing. I've talked to so many athletes that when it ended, they realized like they said their cool factor wore out real quick. All the meetings, all the conversations that they could have had while they were playing the game, they didn't take advantage of it. And now they're left watching their former team play on television, let's just say, or they're left hearing the stories and it's like, I don't know what to do. And it's like you have this, you know, it could be collegiate hockey and like there's students next to you, like network with them, communicate with them, like be a nice person, like those things matter. And because guess what? You're not going to be a superstar or even a really good player forever. It's just look at Michael Jordan. He's 50 something years old. Again, he's different. He's unique. He's got other things that he's doing. That's the extreme example. But it's like, you're not that guy anymore and you're not going to be or woman, right? It's just you hear it enough times to know like how much that matters. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The cool factor is a good way to put it, right? It comes down to your access. You have a ton of access while you're playing. A lot of that access starts to dwindle as you get further and further away from that playing career. Yeah. Why are people... Like, I had a conversation earlier with somebody, and this person's involved in sales all the time, has always been involved in sales. And then you talk to some other people in other businesses, and when you really break down what they're doing on a daily basis is they're in sales. They just don't want to use that word. They don't want to say it. And I totally get it. Why is sales... Like, I get it. Used car sales. I have an insurance business, life insurance brokerage, and we do third-party distribution, work with financial advisors, all that kind of stuff. It's the insurance business. Like, there's certain things that are like, oh gosh, you have an insurance business, right? That's something I'm not involved in a day-to-day basis. Use car sales. So I get maybe why that part of sales is like, oh, we don't like that. Is that the reason? But like, why are people so turned off by that word sales and say, oh no, no, I don't do sales? Well, I think like there's a lot of different names for it. They call it like, have you ever heard of the seller's dilemma? Yeah. People immediately associate sales with, like you said, a used car salesman, right? It's like, Somebody that's trying to sell you something is doing it in their best interest, not in your best interest as the customer. And I think that that has been tied to salespeople for so long that there's like a certain debt that new salespeople in today's world, which you can't successfully sell that way anymore because of the amount of information that's out there. And the fact of the matter is people don't want to be sold, right? Like people want to essentially be consulted with, and then come up with a plan together. So I think until more and more people understand what like a good sales process looks like in today's world, what you learn when you get into it, you quickly understand like you're not going to go out lying to people. You're not going to go in high pressure situations and force people to sign on the line that is dotted because it's just not going to work. You're not going to last very long if that's your approach. But until people actually get into it and do it and understand that Sales is consultative. It's about helping people solve problems. And the only way you can help people solve problems is by understanding what their problems are. I think sales is probably always going to have a little bit of a stigma to it. It's actually funny enough, one of the reasons I started my own company, specifically one of our core missions, is to destigmatize sales as a career because it has such a bad rap. Yeah. It's amazing because you would see people like they don't even realize like what they were just doing. Like, let's say someone built a GoFundMe page, right? right? Because they needed some money. And then you go read it and they have a picture and they have all this content that's below it. And they're telling (laughs) a story and they're asking people for money. And then they would say, I don't like sales. Like, you literally just were selling the whole concept through a GoFundMe page. Like, that's it. Like, imagine if you applied that energy to something else that you believe in. And I think a lot of times, maybe it comes down to, you want to sell something you do believe in, right. right? Like I remember like in the insurance business, it's like, go buy a life insurance policy for yourself, understand it, get involved. Then you really... And then talk to people and have stories. And then you're like, okay, okay, that I can get behind. Yeah. And I think we have to agree with that story. It's no different if you're on the hockey team. It's like, if you're not buying into the story of what's surrounding that team, like chances are it's not going to work out for you or the team. Right? Right. That's what we're living in. It's just crazy though. Like every day we're constantly selling. It might be selling our children on just going to bed. Like, <laughs> I need you to go to bed. That sales. It's a little different, but it's still it's a big part of your day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. People don't realize how often they're selling on a day-to-day basis. It happens all the time. Yeah. Athletes, there's this thing, and it's always been fascinating. I've heard these stories, right? You hire these athletes, they have 
habits, they have consistency, they show up, they understand it's going to be up and down. Like, are those the things that you're seeing? Like, what are you specifically seeing? Like, what makes an athlete good at sales? I think initially there's two really big things that people don't really think about, but that are probably the most important two factors. Number one, and you're in sales, so you know this resiliency, right? Like, Hall of Fame numbers for salespeople is like you close one out of every 10 deals that you're working on. So you've got to be okay with being told no nine times to get to one yes. Athletes grow up losing, getting injured, getting cut from teams, coming back the next day with the same kind of vigor and conviction they always had. So resiliency is huge. The other piece is coachability. I think whether you hire a 4.0 GPA from Harvard that spent four years in the library, or you hire a 2.5 state school kid that played a sport, no matter what, if you're getting into an insurance sales career or a software sales career or medical sales, they don't know anything. So if you hire somebody who isn't coachable, who thinks they know everything, who can't take constructive criticism and turn it into a positive and turn it into a strength, they're not going to be successful. Even if they're the smartest person in the world, if they can't take feedback and use it to get better, they're screwed. So I actually find that resiliency and coachability are the two biggest things coupled with what you said, right? Like understanding to be really good at something, you need to get good at the skills, get good at the habits, get good at the process. You need to then take those things and practice them with intention. And you need to take those things and apply them to goals and go after goals. Obviously, that's a huge, like people hate sports analogies in business. It's like considered toxic masculinity. But I always have to remind people that 50% of college athletes are females. So that's bullshit. Excuse my French, right? Yeah, you're good. So I think those two things coupled with like the way they live their lives makes athletes unbelievable salespeople. Yeah. Well, it's so funny too, because one of the podcasts that we're producers of that we own is run by this woman out in Oakland, California. And she's the team therapist for the Oakland Roots, which is one of the top soccer clubs, like one right below the MLS. And she's always using sports analogies and it's great. And it just tells it like it is. And it's like, hey, it works. If it helps someone understand something, I can create all that. And I can create an analogy based off of something totally different. If it applies to what you're interested in, especially like a former athlete thinking about getting into sales, why would you not use that analogy for them to help them better understand the situation? So I'm totally with it. The resiliency thing is interesting because it's obviously, generally speaking, you got millennials, you have Gen Z, and there's this thing where they come to work, they show up, and they don't do something well or on a team. And they get told no. And now you like, I want to make it more complex, right? So like in college sports, you have the transfer portal. So we've heard stories of kids. And I heard at one point last year, there was 10,000 across the board student athletes that were in the transfer portal. So it's like, hey, JR, it's not working out for you. You're not going to get a lot of ice time this year. And you thought like, man, I thought I was going to be on the second line. Next thing you know, I'm like hardly out there. I'm out, right? I'm leaving. You know, that's what's happening. And so it's not the same thing, but there's... Like when we're trying to align, like why collegiate athletes or why professional athletes, why can they transfer their skills into sales? It's also the thing of like, can you handle that adversity? And you've talked about it. But when we show up and we talk to someone who's in sales and they're not hitting their numbers, they're not doing the extra work that they're required to do, they're not learning about their product or their service, or they're not engaged in it, they're not doing the things that they need to do, and they get told that they're not doing it. They have a tendency, or people in general, and this isn't just for this generation. I think this has been going on for way longer to just bail on it, to just mail it in. I'm done. This guy doesn't like me. I'm out, whatever. Like, 
What is going on with them? Because like you said, this is not easy, but it's athletes also are the ones taking maybe an easier road than saying, I'm going to stick around and by my senior year, I'm going to be an All-American. There's people with big voices. And unfortunately, it used to be that in order to have a big voice, you needed to accomplish something of like meaning over a long period of time. Now to have a big voice, you just need a lot of people to click the follow button on your social media profile, right? So you have people with big voices that are saying, it's okay to quit. It's okay. Like if you're not being successful, there's probably all these things that are going wrong. Executives made bad decisions. You know, your compensation. And I'm thinking very specifically about a lot of sales influencers on LinkedIn now, putting the blame elsewhere, making it easier for the 24, 25 year old kid who just didn't get promoted for the first time saying, well, all these people are saying that it's all these other things to blame. So we're kind of starting to create like this culture where it's okay to be a victim and there's not a lot of accountability out there. And I think it's a huge issue and I think it's going to get worse and worse. I don't think it's the generation, like you said. I think it's more about people are living in these echo chambers now on a day-to-day basis and they're, it's not information they're getting, it's affirmation. If they're hearing what they want to hear, so now it's becoming more and more okay where like, and I'm sure you're the same way. I grew up in a house where like quitting was never an option. And if I did something wrong at school. My parents didn't react by saying, well, what did the teacher do? It was immediately my fault, even when it wasn't my fault. You know what I mean? And that's generally changed on a whole. And I think the amplification with social media is making it worse. Yeah. They're seeking it out, or we are, all of us, right? In some ways, when you post on social media, it's how many likes did you get? Who saw this? What were the comments? When you look at what other people posted, why weren't they... You know, And social media has, and I'm sure you see this in sales, like we're not communicating if not for podcasting and social media, right? We're not having this conversation. So the benefit of social media and networking online today is incredible. Like it's just next level stuff like that no one could have ever thought of. And the other side of it, it's completely toxic, right? So I don't know what to do with those two things, right? Because it is complete opposite things that we're dealing with. No different than like an athlete. Like I was just talking to a former collegiate football player who played at Ohio State. And it's like the outside noise that they have. It's like if you lose a game, like one game, you just like just get rid of everybody, fire the coach, do this. Like, and they're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. They make a bad play. It's on social media. The quarterback throws an interception. What's wrong with him? He sucks. He shouldn't be in the, you know, the outside noise and they have to block it. And again, maybe they do a really good job because they're surrounded by really good people. But it's like, man, no, this is tough. This is why mental health has become so talked about in sports, in life, because of all these things that we're dealing with. It's no different than sales. It's like, if you don't make the sales, then where are you getting your money from? How are you going to support your family and all of this? Yeah. I think mental health is becoming more important. And I think people need to practice, like get better at practicing self-awareness, right? Because if you have a high level of self-awareness, you use the example of the person that isn't doing the right things, isn't getting the promotion. And then when they get fired or they don't get the promotion, they blame someone else. If you have a high level of self-awareness, you understand intimately that it was on you that you didn't get the promotion. Yeah. So I think a combination of mental health and self-awareness is the only thing that's going to cure that imbalance of the greatness of social media with the toxicity of social media. It's like being aware that even when people are telling you you're the best or even when they're telling you the worst, they're wrong and you need to have the self-awareness to know the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's surrounding yourself with good people 
Because sometimes, and we can say like, well, they answered the transfer portal, so they must be weak-minded. They must be this. That's not always true, right? Sometimes you're not in the right environment. And we saw that, that, you know what? This company, this team, this organization, this college, like, yeah, it's not for you. Do make a change. That's the beauty of like, we have the ability to change something. You know, I remember talking to this individual and they hated their job. And all they did is complain about it, talk about it, just wearing it out. Like either decide on one of two things, either leave like right now, like go in there, quit and just be gone or somehow get on board with it at least a little bit and show up and go to work. Because it's like all this other stuff of complaining is toxic and it destroys, it's negative. People don't want to be around that stuff. And it's not to say like, you're never going to feel that way. Like we're all going to have this stuff. It's like, okay, like you said, that self-awareness, I made that mistake. I shouldn't have done that. You know what? I did it over and over again. I can go fix it. I can go work at it. I can go apologize. I can go get back to work. And I think that's an important thing that you've talked about, right? That's what sports was able to teach you. You know, sometimes I remember Little League Baseball is a perfect one. Kid finally gets a hit, rips it going over the shortstop's head. And what does he do? Reaches up, grabs the ball, catches it. And it's like, oh my God, that would have been a double, a triple. It's going out the outfield, maybe an inside the park home run. Kid caught it. You're out. Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, are you a terrible baseball player? Can you not hit the ball? No, it's just the other team made a good play. Like, tip your hat to them and move on. But again, so easier said than done. But I think we do learn those things at a very young age. And I love that. Like, it's just constantly being self aware of like, what does that mean and what can I do about it? Yeah. The number one skill that you can have in any career is self awareness because it serves you very well in the long term. Yeah. When it comes to sales and you're bringing people in and you're helping athletes transition to life after sports and they get into sales, again, this isn't an overnight thing, I don't think. And there is this transition. Maybe they've bought into it. How has that process been going for those that you've been working with? So we have like a fairly high attrition rate. We do a training. And the idea of the training is obviously number one, we don't charge athletes. So our customers really the hiring companies that hire athletes from us for sales jobs. So we built the training with those guys in mind, right? Like we want to give you candidates that are going to ramp quickly, that are going to be productive and that aren't going to quit. But it actually serves, in my opinion, it serves the candidate as well because they have a pretty good sense of like, is this something that I could do for a long term? What I find is people always say, you know, I was a sociology major, Eric, with a minor in art history and sign language and didn't own a computer in college. And here I am, 15 years of selling the most complex technology solutions in the world to the biggest companies in the world. And I have a ton of passion for it. But I didn't start with a ton of passion for it. I started with a passion to get really good at it because I saw very specifically the opportunity to have like a really long and lucrative career. So I had a passion to be successful. And in order to be successful, I had to start learning the skills the habits and the process that were going to make me successful in this career so I could make a lot of money. And then what I found was as I got good at the skills, as I practiced the habits, as I understood and repeated the processes, now I have passion about it because I'm good at it, right? It's like, you know, if you're really good at something, you end up getting passionate about it no matter what it is. So it's almost like a chicken before the egg situation. So what we try to focus on is really getting them excited about the opportunity getting passionate about what they can accomplish in this career and like what is at stake if they're successful in it. And then we see everything else follows with it, right? Then they're okay, like working on a cold call, working on cold emails, 
Nobody except for very weird people love cold calls. I happen to love cold calls, but that's because I've gotten really good at them over the years, right? I didn't start like that. So we try to get them excited about the outcomes and then they'll do the work to drive those outcomes. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. It's like we talked about before, that passion for something, you go all in, right? Like there's nothing to stop you right then. And that's no different than I'm assuming back in your playing career. You have this ability to go find something that's going to benefit you and you're going to go after it. And again, surround yourself and even going back on that part about like people making mistakes and wanting to head out and be the first one out the door and like, I'm done. I don't want to be here anymore. A lot of times too, it goes back to the coach, the leader, the boss to say like, what did they do wrong? And them looking at themselves in the mirror to say, what could I have done better? Because I look at that as like, well, wait, this person didn't succeed. What could I have done better? No different than like what you're doing for these individual athletes that are coming on. Like, I would imagine, and I can tell by your passion for this, like when you put them through this training program, it is so much about you helping them. Like, what can you do to make it better for them and the company that are your clients as well? So you put all that together with passion and man, like that's good stuff right there. So yeah, I like it. You're on this podcast, obviously sales and marketing. It's like they're the same, but they're very different. Like there's all sorts of stuff. Sales, you can really, hey, I get on the phone with you, I have a cold call, I can make that sale. I know how much that means. I get a return on investment. At the same time, you get on a podcast, it doesn't work that way, right? It's a little bit different. It's like that story we said, like maybe that story does sell. I don't know, but like you're spending time. You talked about having your own podcast, you've been on other podcasts, you're on this podcast. Like that's a tough one to measure an ROI on. I know I look on both sides of it to say, there's the known benefit and then there's the unknown benefit. And that unknown benefit could be a ridiculous return on investment, right? Someone could call us up tomorrow and say, Hey, we want to buy your podcast show for millions of dollars, right? That's immeasurable as to what that would be in the thousands of percent. Anyway, like you spending time podcasting, why? I joke around always. People are like, Why are you doing a podcast, JR? And I'm like, Well, in 2022, having a podcast is like having a business card in 1992. Like you almost need it. But I find it as a really good way that we get to control the narrative of like who we are as a brand and as an organization. So that's like number one for me is like it's a chance for us to tell our story in our way, right? Versus normal old school ways. The other thing is, and you just hit the nail on the head is if one athlete listens to this and it doesn't even matter if they come to our company, but they're like, well, what he just said about sales being about the skills, the habits and the process. That sounds interesting to me. I actually might give that a shot. Like you never know when you're telling stories and you're talking about your background, you're talking about the mission, you're talking about your future plans. You don't know who that's going to resonate with and who that's going to impact. And podcasting is this unbelievable platform where you can get out there and you have no idea who's listening to it and how it's going to impact them. I've been sober for 10 years and I talk about that a lot on my podcast that I go on. I can't tell you how many text messages I've gotten, Eric, from people I have no idea who they are, who heard me talk about it and said, Hey, JR, thank you for talking about your sobriety. You know, it helped me finally realize that I had a problem and start making some changes. Right. So like things like that make it all worth it, regardless of the hard dollar ROI that I can measure on a spreadsheet. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because we talk with your team, you come on this podcast and I could read about you. I could learn about you. And trust me, I love reading and writing. 
There's something though in a conversation that you just can't replace it, especially one-on-one. And if it's the next best thing is listening to someone else have that conversation for you. Maybe they don't ask all the other right stuff. And that's when you start your own and be like, hey, Jared, come on my podcast. I have some questions for you. Because like, man, you could take that down so many different places just with what you just opened up right there with and talking about sobriety and what that meant. There's a lot in that. And yeah, that's spot on. And not to go down different paths. But when you talk about that, was there this time between... And I don't know. And I'm just... I don't know if I'm guessing what I'm doing. But in between like of you playing hockey and not playing hockey and then starting your career, was there this gap for you that there was a different scene or different things that you were involved in that you didn't have something that you were passionate about? Because you're very passionate. Like To say that you're weird that you like cold calling, like that is. That's, that's weird, right? It's like not a normal thing, right? Yeah. And it's an aggressive behavior. And I don't know if that's the right word for it, but it's like, you got to have some guts to go and do that. Like, were you missing that piece? I don't know. I got just throwing that out there. Well, so there wasn't a gap. I stopped playing and then I started working as a technology sales professional. But what I didn't bring over was like, I kind of call it professionalism, right? Like, I kind of was like, I was doing a job. It wasn't a career for me initially. Probably for like the first four or five years that I did it, I was kind of like going through the motion, showing up to work, doing the bare minimum. And I wasn't having a ton of success. And I was drinking a lot and I was using drugs and I was in a bad place. And then I kind of had this like epiphany moment where I was like, stop feeling sorry for myself about the fact that I wasn't a professional hockey player and realize that that doesn't mean I can't be a professional. And it's like, the reason that professional athletes make a lot of money is because they make a lot of sacrifices and they make a big commitment. And there's certain careers out there that if you make the same type of commitment that Tom Brady made to football, you can become the best third grade teacher in the world. And that's something that's super rewarding emotionally and personally. So that's kind of the epiphany moment that I had when I stopped drinking, stopped using drugs, and started to be a professional in this industry and that was kind of the changing moment in my life. And what I try to do is get kids to not go through that dark night of the soul period that I had, you know, in my mid 20s, where I was like lost. I was doing a job, I didn't have a career, and I had lost focus in general. So that's kind of what saved me, I think, was this career. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man, when I create content in these podcasts, oftentimes I think about would my kids listen at some point and would they get something from it? And like, I can honestly say, like, I would want, for example, my son, who's my oldest, I'd want him to listen to this without a doubt, like whatever he's thinking about, because like, he loves sports. He loves playing sports. He's a soccer goalkeeper. And what does that mean? And where are you going to go with it? And if it doesn't work out, and I talked to this other person who went through these struggles, like his own struggles. And I was like, did you need to go through those struggles to get to here? And I was like, you know, most people, yes, absolutely. Like, and that's true. And he's like, no. Because I was surrounded by all this. I knew all the people that went through that. If I would have just listened to them, then I didn't have to go through this. So he's like, no, I didn't want to need to go through it. But you know, it works both ways. I get it. But it's like, man, here you are creating this content, sharing the story. And like, my kid, if that's it, and he's the only one that ever heard it, man, that's why I do this. Totally. And here's the thing. If another entrepreneur, business owner, founder, whatever person reaches out and says, man, can you help me create a podcast and do that? Absolutely. I love doing that. I love helping people tell that story because I know I've witnessed it for ourselves and for them to say, what does that do for them? 
And someone can come here, well, show me on the spreadsheet and the ROI. Man, I've had forensic engineer come on here and say, you cannot spreadsheet this shit. And I was like, dude, that is Mr. Spreadsheet. Like his computer's in his office, you know? (laughs) But it's the unlimited potential that also exists within it all. But man, I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that. I know you've done that before, but that stuff matters because now we're seeing in locker rooms, hockey. I mean, you've seen the culture in hockey and the stories that are coming out from Canada. Like I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and all of my friends played hockey. A lot of them played collegiate hockey. And they would tell the stories of even when they went to Canada, what would go down. And I saw families and I saw what happened. And so now you're seeing it to the extreme levels and with what happened with the Blackhawks and those stories that came out. Man, like... It's a lot. And what's happening with women's soccer and like these are conversations that are very difficult. And you don't want your life to end in your mid to early 30s or 20s because you stop playing your sport. Like there's a lot more out there, like you've talked about, man. But I appreciate you sharing all that. Absolutely, Eric. It was a great conversation. Thank you for having me. Yeah. JR, where do we learn more about you or learn more about your company? People can come right to www.shiftgroup.io. There's tons of information on there about us. This podcast will end there when it goes live, as well as some others. And if whether they're an athlete or you know somebody that's trying to build out a, a super resilient, competitive, and coachable sales organization, just come to our website and reach out that way. It's awesome, man. Thank you, JR. Yep. Thank you for having me, Eric. In case you haven't noticed, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're building a -a one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network.